0: this is the Running Publix Training Tuesday. Training Tuesday is where we talk about training only. One topic, we dive deep, we explore it completely. It's training, it's Tuesday. Training Tuesday. Tuesday, Tuesday,
1: Tuesday. Bracken, I want you to tell me about your office setup there. What what kind of desk is that? Did you get that at Ikea?
0: Uh, you could get similar things at Ikea. This is a stool that I bought for $10 at Menards one day with mm-hmm. a... FedEx box with a pair of running shoes still inside of it because they're half size too big and I haven't haven't returned them yet. So that gives it some some more lateral stability inside there.
1: Ah, uh, you got a, He's got a really nice setup for those of you you can't see this, but he's got a cardboard to FedEx box. He's got his microphone laid out. We uh we're very professional over here at the Running Public.
0: Yeah, my setup uh, that it's being used right now. The home gym has now become like the. The neighborhood gym.
1: You should tell everybody, Bracken, the trouble you went through last week to try to create a new studio setup, and then what happened.
0: We have this third floor in our house that's like half attic, half. It'll be a third floor if we ever decide to refinish it, but we haven't. And I, my kids actually said, "Why don't you just go up there? And then we don't have to be so quiet. You'll have two floors between us and you." And I thought that's awesome. So I got up early and I brought all this sound deadening material up there, anything soft I could find, so that we didn't have echoey recording and just a lot of trips up and down and it's a makeshift staircase so i had to raise it and lower it every time and (laughs) finally get all set up log in get ready to go realize yeah i probably don't have enough battery to make it through a two-hour recording and there are no outlets on the third floor (laughs) (laughs) undo it all carry the equipment back down and go back to a different room it was all for naught
1: how much time did you spend prepping your attic recording studio
0: I mean, not more than 45 for 50 minutes.
1: (laughs) And then you had to undo it all because you had no power outlet.
0: Correct. Yeah.
1: We're jerry-rigging this setup, guys, but we're making it work.
0: We're making it work. Someday, we'll be flying people out to LA in the hills to do this recording, but not yet.
1: (laughs) Not yet. Now, I want to know, before, we're going to talk about the long run today, folks. And I see a lot of people doing long runs these days. A lot of people seem to be putting time on the feet which uh, we're going to dive into, but Bracken followed up with his promise to the good people about his hundred mile bike bike ride, and I want to hear about it. So, how did your hundred mile bike time trial go?
0: It went as well as it possibly could have. The entire time, I kept like waiting for the pin to drop. Like, all right, now it's gonna something's gonna go wrong here, like a mechanical issue on the bike or on my body, and nothing. I paced it really well, energy wise and effort wise uh, packed the like exact amount of water and calories to keep me rolling the whole time. And then I kind of thought between like 55 and 75, somewhere in there, things are going to get not fun anymore. And at like 68, a guy pulled out onto the trail right behind me and we rode side by side and talked for the next 20 miles.
1: Oh, what a savior. Nobody had to give you a phone call to save you mid bike ride. It was just, it was even better. Bike. He
0: was right there and he was riding a notch harder than I, a notch or two harder than I was. And we didn't draft off each other. We stayed on either side of the path, you know, probably six to eight feet apart. But just having him there, matching his cadence and Suddenly I wasn't shifting positions every couple of minutes to keep my butt happy and my my uh, lats, I mean my traps. My traps were so sore mm-hmm. by the end of this thing. And suddenly we were just cruising again. So it was great. I, I enjoyed almost every bit of it other than my, my traps and uh, my wrists and hands a little bit. Butt was actually third in line. By the time I finished <laughs> the ride, butt was the third thing that was barking at me.
1: Did you have any dark, like, where was your lowest point? Because 100,
0: how long did that take you, Bracken? It had to be
1: six hours. Took me 542. All right. So 542, you never had a dark moment where you were like, "Eh, I wish I wasn't doing this.
0: Uh, No, early on. So uh, one thing I didn't realize is that the bike path, I had ridden, I'd, I'd ridden on this path out 25, back 25 a few weeks ago. And this path goes from downtown Milwaukee all the way out to Cottage Grove, which is just shy of Madison. So, it, and then it picks up on the other side of Madison, almost all the way out to La Crosse. This is hundreds and hundreds of miles of bike path that I just luckily have access to. Mm-hmm. But I'd never gone past 25 out. Uh, six miles past where I turned around, it turns into a gravel slash dirt path. And I did not know that. So that mm-hmm. that suddenly, if I had a dark place, it was like the first 20 miles of that where I was thinking, well, time goes out the window now. And now I'm working way harder than I thought I was going to work, just because of the extra. I still wanted to like keep a good cadence going, and I started to really fatigue between like 30 and 50. See, I would have been worried about popping a flat on a road bike on yeah, that me too. trail, you, but y'all all smooth, all smooth. I, I I stayed pretty vigilant on, and and it's a, it's as well maintained as it's not like I was going off roading. It's a very well maintained, hard packed area, but I hit one creature hole like 100 meters onto that section i thought oh yeah i I need to keep frosty from here on out or i'm gonna have an issue
1: and what did you fuel with what did you all eat during this time
0: Uh, i had all my electrolytes um via attack their um, watermelon flavor i had that stuff is so
1: good by the way yeah their their hydrate stuff is so good it's like not too sweet it has enough flavor you just like crave more of it It's it's good it's good product
0: They don't sponsor me anymore, but Endure Elite, I still love their products. So I I put Sustain Elite in my bottles. And um, then at our, at 3.45 and 4.45, I ate um, a bit of some chocolate bars, like chocolate granola bars. Yeah, that was enough. That was enough. I had 90, well, I had I had a red, uh, Aaron Newell said, he messaged me, he said, if you don't have a Red Bull, it's not a <laughs> hundred. So at, at the turnaround point, I cracked open a Red Bull for Aaron. So I had 90 ounces of fluid and what I would say was roughly 400 calories. Wow.
1: That's actually not much.
0: Yeah. It was interesting. I, I figured I needed about half of what I would need on a run and it was about right. Yeah. Just with, well. without the impact and without the constantly having to drive yourself, you know, getting that extra roll of. Seem to do well for me. Well, maybe it's because
1: the craft I I've practiced most of my life is running, but I feel like I need more on the bike if I'm gonna go longer and really? harder. I, yeah, I feel like I I need to stay ahead of it more. I think I told you that I think the bonk on the bike is worse than a bonk on the run. You so, be oh, I, I know, maybe we're just different that way, you know? That's how it works. But I started hey,
0: sipping, I treated it like I was running an ultra. I started sipping at a half hour and I just sipped every couple minutes. I took a gulp every couple minutes all the way through the ride. Never, never had any real like peaks or valleys.
1: Yeah. That's what Sustain Elite's great for is just kind of sipping calories along the way. Yeah. Um, But you hear the the important part about this people is that we said we were going to do something and we don't mislead you. We don't lie Mm -mm. to you. We are here for the people. And we did this to show you guys that we follow through with what we say, didn't we, Bracken?
0: That's right. And I'll give credit where credit's due. First of all, you, you did your 5K and that's as hard to get out the door for as a hundo is. And Mm -hmm. then Ryan, Lindsay, and Aaron all did 100 milers. And then Kempson did 100 miles. So it's Mm -hmm. like, man, if I'm the only one who (laughs) who bails out on this. I mean, it wasn't all sunflowers and unicorns and leprechauns, but yeah. I was I was in a good place mentally. I was I was prepared to go out there and hurt, and so like nothing was surprising. So when it didn't get really really dark, it just felt like a like a nice cherry on top.
1: Uh, Nick Riker also did uh, did hundred miles as well. Don't want to leave. Oh, him I didn't out of I didn't see
0: that one actually. So he's
1: a supporter of the podcast. Uh, though honestly, Bracken, I've just been kind of uh, dogging this because I have one real question. I just want to know how your Gooch is feeling. That's all I want to know.
0: After the ride, my traps were like a nine out of 10. There was something going. I think when that guy came up next to me, I didn't switch positions for the next 20 miles. I just held one position and I don't know what it was, but they were as sore as like a muscle can be on me. But the next day, my body felt like I could probably do that again, other than my sit bone area. Hmm, I have a uh, visible scabbing right now on my oh. sit bone. <laughs> oh, <no>. So <laughs> I, I put as much as much um, body glide on me as I could have. I stopped twice to pee. I messaged Ryan Atkins the day before because he had just set Lindsay up on a bike for her hundred. And I said, is it possible to go without going to the bathroom for a whole hundred? And he gave me like a thoughtful face, like, I don't know. And I thought I'm going to do it, but I stopped twice. But Mm -hmm. when I went to the bathroom and looked down, it looked like I was like a baby coated in like desitin or something. I had so much like grease going Mm -hmm. on down there from the, the body glide. But I think I needed something a little more heavy duty on the on the booty area.
1: Yeah. Lessons learned. Lessons learned. Yep. So this long ride that you did is sort of a good segment then into our topic today, the long run. And guys, I know you've heard a lot of our voices over the last two weeks. It's basically just been bracketing my sultry voices coming at your ears. We're going to go back to uh, interview style on Friday with a guest. And then you'll be hearing from other people other than ourselves moving forward. So rest assured, if you're sick of hearing us talk, you're going to get some new new voices in your uh, in years coming up. But today is a long run, Bracken, and I think now is actually as we had kind of discussed uh, what to talk about today. More than anything, I'm seeing a lot of people hitting long efforts just for either the pure enjoyment of it because they don't have a lot of structure to their you're training right now. It's kind of like the time of the long run, I feel like, when you start looking at what other people are doing, what I'm doing, what you're doing, a long bike ride. And so now it makes sense to dive into kind of the aspects of the long run today. Um, There's a lot of ways we could go with this, of course, and we're just gonna give you our takes sort of how we approach it um, over the years and and how we would maybe recommend you do the same. So Bracken, where do you wanna start with our long run conversation?
0: I think we should start with the classic debate between the LSD run, as they say, long, slow distance and doing, I guess people would classically call it like the marathon pace long run, but some sort Mm -hmm. of long workout. It's either, should I just go long and slow or should I work long? And I think that's Mm -hmm. where like, it's most important to start talking.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, for and I think just beginning the conversation, it's important to know that there is no wrong way to do the long run, as long as it's placed with purpose in your plan. Um LSD, the long slow distance, if that's all you're doing, you may want to look at something different, uh different way to spice up your long run. If you're doing a lot of intense work throughout the week, LSD may be your prescription, but um there's no wrong way to do the long run. It's just more what you're hoping to get out of it.
0: First of all, let's be clear. If there was a clear scientific winner, there wouldn't be a debate. But yep. there's not. Science yet has not proven one thing to be just way more beneficial than the other. Anecdotally, it's totally different because everyone has their own story and I have my own take on it. But just, yeah, right off the bat, let's confirm that there's no such thing as doing it wrong if it's done with a purpose and the purpose makes sense within the confines of your training. Yes. So you you can overthink it and you can underthink it, but as long as you think it correctly, you're doing okay.
1: Yep. I totally agree. So if you're looking at your week, let's assume now that you are long running every single week, uh, one long run per week. When you're looking at your week, Bracken, how do you decide what you're going to do for your long run that week? What what decisions? What, what factors go into your decision-making process there?
0: My basic rule of thumb is that I balance out my week with my long run. And so it's like whatever piece is missing from my week, that's where my long run takes over. So if I've done some high intensity intervals throughout the week, I'm leaning more towards a relaxed aerobic long run. If I've had a lot of easy work or threshold work, um, then I then I start spicing up my long run. But if the long run drives the week, let's say I have like I had this week, a long time trial. Then I determine what I'm going to do on the time trial or the long run, and then I I backlog my week based off that. But it's the missing piece in my week is the way I look at it.
1: Hundred percent, I look at it the exact same way. I feel like if I don't do a lot of high intensity work during the week, where I'm getting a bit uncomfortable, I'm working at beyond maybe threshold effort. If I'm not doing a lot of work uh, of like zone four, zone five intensity. I will probably be throwing in high quality efforts into my long run on the weekend. Something where I'm varying pace, I'm varying intensity. I'm actually getting my heart rate to rise pretty high for certain bouts in that long run. And I'm making sure that uh, I do what I call a quality long run. Now, if I've hit some pretty intense bouts of intervals or hill work or other things throughout the week, and really I'm just elaborating on what you said here, Bracken. And I feel like, yeah, my legs are pretty toasty and I feel like I've really worked my high end system this week. I may go out on my long run with no speed agenda and simply just to put time on. I feel like that's basically what you outline.
0: Yes, it is. And I I believe that the longer the event you're preparing for, the more important it is to add quality into your long run because that is race specific. The shorter the event you're doing, the more important it is just to get time on your feet and work on building your aerobic engine. So the example Mm -hmm. of that would be for a 5K runner or a 10K runner, or a 3K short course specialist for OCR, or a sprint triathlon athlete, long slow distance is probably just what the doctor orders the majority of the time. Because nothing in your sport requires you on race day to work hard and access multiple systems for longer than an hour, hour and a half. You don't need it, so it's kind of not worth to stress yourself in that system so i feel it's better to save that for your shorter quality days but if you're a half marathoner a marathoner an ultra runner you have to have some semblance of quality in your long runs because you can't just pair long slow distance with short intensity and suddenly you can work intense for long distance your body has to get to a fatigued point in training and then have to work hard otherwise on race day it's system shock
1: yep yeah, that you would set yourself up for quite a bonk in a long event if you're not working at a high capacity at some points for a long duration in your training. Before we jump into the nuances of that bracket, I think one important question needs to be answered, and that is how long is long enough? Okay, <laughs> okay, if you're a short course specialist, if you're training for an ultra marathon, there's so many ways we could go with this, and I understand a lot of you in the audience uh, are are specializing in completely different things. So how long is long enough, Bracken?
0: How do you answer that question? Oh, that's a tricky one. Uh, I think that if you just wanted to put set metrics for people and not look into any personalization, I think everyone should be able to comfortably run an hour multiple times per week if they had to, mm-hmm. and, if, and then also be able to run extend for a long run two hours and comfortably finish two hours without having like utter destruction happen to their body. So that's like my baseline metric. If you can run for an hour casually for an easy day and run for two hours on a long run day, that's probably as much endurance as you'll need for a lot of events and that's my ballpark answer the specific answer is that for a 5k runner you probably don't have to run longer than 80 minutes ever if you didn't want to or 90 minutes Mm -hmm. but certain people do benefit from a two hour long run but if you're talking marathon and then we start getting into Mm -hmm. how long is long enough and i think minimum for a marathon or ultra runner 18 to 20 mile long runs
1: yeah, my, my coach in college, and I've used this rule, uh, pretty much it's been in the back of my mind since, and he said, up to an hour-long race, I believe that your long run should be at minimum three times your race duration. So for example, if you are, and this is at minimum, let me tell you, okay, very minimum. Let's say you are training to uh, race a 5K. Well, um, let's say that takes you 20 minutes. Well, then at minimum, your long run should be six. If you're looking to race a uh, Anything again up to an hour, and this that's on the high side of things. Now, if you were going to run like a ten mile race, do I think you need to be doing a thirty mile long run? Probably not. But um, but that's kind of the general rule of thumb I've used for up uh, races up to an hour. Now, when you get beyond that, and you get beyond a three hour long run, you start to get into some territory that you don't necessarily need to get into. But uh, if you're looking at the shorter race distances, I would say at minimum again, if you're five k, ten k, especially up to that. Uh, look at three times the length of your race distance. We use this in college. We would race uh, five miles in cross country. So our long runs would be 15 miles on the weekends. We we basically use that general format. Even in track, our 5K specialists would minimum go for a 10-mile long run on the weekends, uh, roughly that thing. So it's something if you're a shorter course athlete, I would maybe use that as a frame of reference for long runs. If you're a lower mileage athlete, uh, still trying to hit that three times your race duration or
0: distance. I do like that. I've I've generally used something along those lines where 10k and below triple your distance, half marathon, double, and then marathon is time and a half to or so. But yeah, I, I also think there's a good important distinction between time on feet and distance covered. Yep. I oh, like yeah. to split my long runs into two categories duration and time. I'm sorry, that is the exact same thing. <laughs> duration and distance. The two D's duration and distance. Double D. And That's right. And I think it's important to do both. I think it's important to know that I can cover this said distance as quick as I can or at this heart rate. And I think it's also important to know I can go this duration. And it becomes even more important if you get off-road. Where Mm -hmm. doing a 20-mile long run in Colorado might take you six hours, doing it in Milwaukee might take you two hours, two and a half hours, you know? So it's it's totally different training stimulus, and which is why I like to balance those two.
1: Yeah. Um let's
0: give just real quick
1: snapshots. Again, I know a lot of our listeners, our uh OCR athletes, Spartan athletes. If you're doing a sprint, super, and a beast, okay? Just uh just give the uh, just give the listeners an idea of a uh, high end number what you'd shoot for for long runs if you were only going to be training for a sprint or only a super or only a beast. What would you maybe just give them for markers to shoot for as far as time on feet goes? A broad stroke answer.
0: I'm on feet for a sprint. I think you should be able to run 90 minutes. Yep. That, that feels important to me. A super, I think you should be able to do at least two hours In a beast, at least
1: three. 100%. I would have given the same exact numbers.
0: And honestly, I wouldn't change it much for an ultra. I think there is a place in an ultra schedule to do four or five hour long runs, some time on feet days. But I don't I think there's such diminishing returns there that you're better off doing quality long runs or back-to-back days from time to time rather than spending four or five, six hour days on feet. There's some there's there's some debate in that category, but personally, because of diminishing returns and exponentially increasing the risk of injury. I generally don't prescribe longer than four hour runs.
1: Yeah. I don't think I've ever prescribed longer than a three hour run to an athlete. And I coach a number who are doing ultras this year. I like to uh, precede or follow up a long run sometimes with like, Hey, let's put 60 minutes on the bike and then go into your three hour long run or vice versa to get more time on feet. But when you look, um, if you do some research on this guy's, and you look at the diminishing returns on investment in runs longer than like two and a half, three hours, like the the uh, return you get on four hour runs, five hour runs. Yes, there's a lot to say to the mental tenacity you'll develop, the understanding of your gear, how your body is going to respond and all of those things. But when you're talking about physiological benefits from most of what I've read, uh, you're not seeing a whole lot of benefit beyond that three hour mark. Um, have you seen anything contra, uh, I guess, opposing that? Only
0: from a mental standpoint, Correct. that your mental toughness days do matter. But I think those can be hit in multiple ways. Uh, when I prescribe longer than three hours, it is multiple modality work. Mm-hmm. Push plus drag plus carry plus hills, things like that, long workouts. But I I've run multiple ultras in my life and I've rarely gone out for longer than three hour standalone runs but back to back days or a two hour bike into three hour run or three hour run into two hour bike. Not Now you've got some stuff going that doesn't injure you.
1: Yep. Um, okay. So I think we covered that. Like how long do you need to go? I don't know if we need to spend any more time on it than that. So next let's jump into like, what are we really trying to accomplish? We kind of are alluding towards it already, but what are we trying to accomplish in this long run? First of all, you know, in my opinion, we're, we're trying to get your body used to just spending time on feet a lot of you guys listening, I understand like you maybe haven't been runners your whole life. You're learning, you know, you're hitting new markers with your long runs like, hey, 10 miles is the longest I've gone. And now I feel like I need to step it up to 12 or 15 or more time on feet. Um, so I know a lot of you are going through progressions and hitting new personal bests as far as duration goes on these long runs. Um, I feel like a lot of the athletes I have, and I know you have, Brack, and we're prescribing more work than they've ever done before. So... Um, first of all, it's getting your body comfortable spending that time on feet. And there is adaptation to be had alone between muscle breakdown, um, just general fatigue. Those long, steady runs are really where we start to, uh, build capillary beds or capillaries if you think of like a spider web or like veins in your system those capillaries will actually grow in length and diameter to help feed the muscles more blood as you're going a lot of the long slow distance the science shows that those capillary beds really start to finger out uh in your muscles from that ex- that time on feet which thus puts more uh, oxygen into your muscles which thus would cr- increase your endurance and ability to absorb oxygen so um Point being is that time on feet, uh, one gets those muscles ready uh, and adapted to just the overuse and the pounding, and then two, really the development of those capillary beds um, to provide more oxygen over long durations, which thus means increased endurance.
0: Yeah, yeah, it is important to know that there is a like a cellular level benefit that happens. It's not all mental for the long runs. People aren't doing it only to get tough because I've known people who are like. I'm tough enough from my speed work, or I'm tough enough from my wrestling days, or whatever. Like I'll get through a, I'll run through a brick wall. But mm-hmm. there is a science portion that says you will just become a better athlete at a cellular level by doing this. So that's very important mm-hmm. to note. Another yeah. importance that I believe is that there are two ways to recruit a higher percentage of your muscle fibers when you run. Um, they both stem from fatiguing them. The first is uh, speed work. The faster and harder you work the more you recruit, and the quicker you fatigue, and then the more you have to recruit other muscle groups mm-hmm. in order to keep things going. The second is get them really exhausted with long work. Two hours into a run, you are having to recruit more than you had to recruit 60 minutes into the run because things are just depleted. And those are the pieces that come into play on race day. When, when the minor things start to break down, there are backup systems that can come into play. And one of the important, uh, there's two important pieces to that. The first is that when you get that to that point in a race, you're used to it, and you know like this is how I kept my stride strong when I was really fatigued. Like I really focused after 90 minutes and two hours in training, and you develop this this resistance to to your 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 loss of efficiency. As people start to fatigue, they start to sag, they start to get. their their economy drops, their running form sags to the side and collapses. Over time, you get better at avoiding that. And then the second is that mentally and physically, you're just used to hitting these points and you're able to push through them better. Where if you never do a two hour or three hour long run, things jump up and hit you in the face during a race and you have no backup plan. Yeah,
1: I always find what areas of my body are going to go on me first during some of these longer, harder training runs. Um, usually don't pop up in shorter runs, usually don't pop up for me in short, sharp interval sessions. It's I'm two hours into a run and my body starts going, I find out where I'm gonna cramp, what muscles start to uh start to feel a little goofy, where my form breaks down. Seems to be on those longer efforts that you start to learn your body that way and recognize it. And even if that's something that then happens in a race to you, at least it's not catching you off guard. At least you know it's coming, at least you know uh, how to work through that. So that's, that's a valuable, that's a valuable thing to learn. I agree.
0: One of the first things people told me when I was getting ready for ultras is that unlike other events, the lows and the highs don't last in a five K or a 10 K race. When you hit a high point, like you got to roll with it. And because when it's gone, it's gone. Or -hmm. when you hit a low Mm -hmm. point, like your race is over. That's it. But in ultras, you can hit multiple peaks and valleys in the same race and you can't get too high or too low mentally because nothing lasts. But that's impossible to wrap your head around and truly believe until you've experienced it. If you don't want to experience it for the first time on race day, the first time you hit a really nasty low, uh, you'll drop out of your race or you'll just give up on your pacing plan or whatever it's going to be and not realize that that would have come back around. But if you got through that in training you now have another arrow in your quiver for getting through bad points.
1: So let's actually talk about that then. So let's talk about how to set yourself up through your long run to be more bulletproof when you get to later stages of a race. Um, The biggest thing uh, for me, and I think we alluded towards this earlier, so let's dive right into it. Let's dive into the quality long run. Because the quality long run is going to set us up best for a high intense long race. So I implement a quality long run every almost, I would say two out of three long runs, I'm considering a quality long run, which means I have a specific purpose for that long run more than just spending time on feet, Uh, major muscle fatigue, getting my cardiac output high, kind of hurting. And then a lot of times I'll finish out that long run after maybe 60, 90 minutes of purposeful work. And then I might finish out with 60 to 90 minutes of steady work after I've already kind of shot myself. And that's kind of what we're trying to bullet. That's how we're trying to bulletproof ourselves for races. So how do you approach your quality long run? And then I'll kind of approach how I, how I approach mine.
0: I have my simplest version and I actually really enjoy it. I either run halfway or two thirds of the way through my distance High end aerobic. So what I would call that, what would you call it? uh, Ventilatory threshold one, (laughs) if you're getting scientific, you're staying aerobic, but you're at high end and you're never breathing fast. You're just breathing smooth. You could, you're working okay, but you're fully aerobic. And then I run home from there. I bring it home. And it's either half of the run on a shorter run or a third of the run on on a longer run. But I'm just saying, all right, from here to home, how fast can I get back? And I'm doing it on tired legs and you end up running, you know, a little bit under or right at your threshold, um, effort from there on home. And it's a really great way because you're getting a long time on feet working hard, but you're doing it in a depleted state, but it's not so intense and terrible that like you completely blow apart, but you've, like you said earlier, those muscle groups that are underdeveloped, they, they talk to you by the end of that. Mm-hmm. And you, it, gets you into the mindset of, I'm always closing, never fading when I'm tired. I'm biting down harder and, and cranking it up as I get closer to home. So that's probably the one I do the most. And it's the one I get the most out of mentally.
1: So for example, just to give a little more specifics here, let's say you were going for a 20 mile long run mm-hmm. and the purpose was what you just spoke about. Would you maybe, let's say run 12 of those miles, let's say at an, let's say seven minute pace. And then the last eight miles, you might try to pound home in 6.15 pace or six minute pace. So basically you're putting some time on feet and uh, creating residual fatigue and then trying to work hard once you're already fatigued. Would that be about how you would break it down? Is that what I'm understanding?
0: Yeah, it's pretty accurate. And you can actually go on my Strava. Every time I run around Lake Geneva, which is 21 miles and change, uh, that's what I do. I run the first half. It's roughly nine and a half, 10 to the other side of the lake. I run that aerobically. As soon as I get to that beach, I start picking it up a little bit. And the next like three are kind of a ramp up section where I move from aerobic to starting to work harder. And then from like 12 or 13 on those last eight or nine, wherever I start, now I'm just letting it rip. Yep. I like that. I'm trying to hurt, but I'm trying to never blow up. I'm trying to ride that line the whole way home of, can I pick it up one more notch? Can I pick it up one more notch? And then when I get actually nauseous or like thinking, well, something could cramp, or if I run one more mile at this, I'm blown up. I back off a half notch and I get good at riding that line of what's the best output I can put out without blowing up.
1: Okay. I like that. Now, I will say, and we can dive into something called like the Kenyan run in a second, which I know we like to do and something also like a progression long run. But I actually veered towards doing almost the opposite of what you're talking about, Bracken. So I just yeah. want to dive into that. Um, so for a lot of my long runs, I like to uh, put some high end work early into my long run and then go into a steady state of work the second half or the final third of my long run. So Uh, Typically, I would do somewhere in like a 15 to 20 minute warm-up phase in my long run where I'm running at like a warm-up effort. And then I'm going to go and do about an hour's worth of hard work, interval style. One of my favorites is eight minutes on, two minutes off. And I might repeat that uh, four to six times. So I'm running somewhere around threshold effort pretty hard, then just taking two down minutes where I'm running at recovery effort and I'm repeating that. And I'm going to work pretty hard. In fact, I may even go past like my lactate threshold, uh, towards the end of one of those last two intervals and I'm going to be pretty dang tired. And then I'm still going to have another 60 minutes to spend on feet when that's all done. And I've already really worked my systems. And now I'm saying, okay, I'm not going to run easy the rest of my run, but I'm going to still like, I'm going to keep the throttle down, but just like ease off it just a hair. And I may be keeping my heart rate at 160 beats a minute, the rest of that run sub threshold, but I'm tired. My legs don't want to move. They're starting to fatigue. Um, And then I hold on the rest of my run that way. And that's uh, one way to make your long run feel like shit the second half, but it's also one to really bulletproof your body for the second half of a race. Purposefully work too hard, not too hard, but work hard early. Another style of workout you could do that anyway is any sort of fart lick. A lot of times I'll throw in, you know, a ladder where I'm going, a minute hard, a minute easy, two hard, two easy, three, three, four, four, five, five, and then work it back down. And then again, go back into that steady rate of work, maybe at 160 beats a minute, uh, real work. Um, I find for some reason that translates really nice for me when it comes to racing, because I'm just spending a lot of time on feet towards the second half of that fatigued. Mm-hmm. So uh, we're almost looking at the same style, Brack, and We're just flip-flopping the order of how we're doing it.
0: Yeah, yeah, and I have those in my schedule, but those are the minority, where those are very stressful to my system. They are, yeah. And and I keep those sprinkled in, and maybe looking back historically, that's something I need to add more in. Maybe I'm staying more towards the run I enjoy rather than the run I need. Mm. Now, when I go and do those, one of my go just it's called 30-30-30, 30 minutes easy, 30 minutes of workout, 30 minutes easy. And it's pretty similar to what you talked about. You you get running and then after the 30-minute mark, your next 30 minutes are quality. And one of my go-tos is 10 by two minutes hard, one minute easy. There you go. And then that's three-minute rounds. By the end of 10, you've done a half hour hard. You're at the 60-minute mark. And now you got to finish out to the 90-minute mark without going slower than you ran your first 30 minutes. You got to get right back to that aerobic running. But don't let it slide. Your form's starting to get compromised. You keep it together. And you can do 40, 40, 40. I've done 60, 60, 60. Hour mm-hmm. easy run, hour hard work, hour easy. That third hour, even though it's easy running, is the money maker. It is. That's kind of what I'm
1: outlining. Do you ever look at your heart rate data on a run like that? It's interesting because let's say I'm warming up for a half hour easy and my heart rate average is 140 beats a minute. Then I go into this high-end work for a half hour. And then I go back to the same pace to finish that run as I started it in that easy effort. But my my heart rate's like 10 to 15 beats a, a minute higher because of the cardiac drift, because of the residual fatigue. And it's sitting in that after that hard rate of work that really is like building some aerobic capacity. So, and I assume your heart rate does the same thing when you do those style yeah. of workouts.
0: Yeah. Yeah. We've talked about my elected threshold heart rate where like I can race a 10K at about 166 heart rate. Mm-hmm. Um, after I was doing this workout, um, about last year, this time, where I would run three miles over to this hill and I would do 3k or 5k hill repeats. It's, it's, you know, classic marathon workout doing 5k thrust two by 5k or three by 5k tempo in the middle of a long run. I was doing that, but up and down a hill, a long, like 1.1 mile hill up, down, up, rest, down, up, down, rest, that mm-hmm. kind of thing. And then run home. And on the run home, I'd finish at like 170 heart rate on the last hill. It dropped down to like 135 as I like relax for a few minutes. And as soon as I start running home, I'm like at 160. Yep, running eight and a half minute pace home on a soft trail, and my heart rate's up to probably like half marathon race heart rate.
1: Hmm. You know, I did. Um, I did my 5K time trial last Monday. And I averaged 181 beats per minute for that 5K time trial, okay? And then I did a six-mile extended cool down. I averaged 715 pace. And do you want to know my average heart rate was for that six miles? Like 158, 158 to 162 yeah. for, for six miles afterwards. Um, normally, a 715 pace would be about 135 beats a minute for myself. So point being is then you can force your body into a higher rate of work if you hit some high intense efforts early. And the point we're trying to get across here, guys, is that if you're going to go out and race an intense race for one, two, three hours, but your long runs are all just this slow, steady stuff, you're doing yourself a really, really big disservice. How are you going to prepare yourself to work hard for two or three hours in a Spartan beast or a half marathon or a marathon? That's hard ass work. But then on the weekends, the only time you're going out for long runs, you're working like at an easy, steady rate of work. You're not setting yourself up for success to race hard for a long time. You're setting yourself up to bonk. You're setting yourself up not to hit your potential in those longer races because you're not subjecting yourself to those sort of stressors and training. I don't think that every weekend should be this just long shuffle. You're, uh, you're not getting out of your training and thus not going to race to your potential because you don't know what it's like to feel fatigued for that long. You don't want your body to be exposed to that stressor of that duration of intensity for the first time in a race. You want to be adjusted to working through that fatigue. And so Bracken and I really wanted to hone in on the fact that quality long runs are important. In fact, they should be a pivotal part of your training to set your body up to perform at a high rate of work for a long time in a race.
0: There's been a lot of talk in the marathon world about why results have just springboarded forward in the last 10 years. And then the last three to five years, a lot of it's because of shoes. And people are upset about that. But if you look historically, the shift started five to eight years earlier than the shoes. And it was not coincidental that there was a big shift in training methodology where a lot of track coaches started coaching marathoners rather than road racing coaches coaching marathoners. And they brought the principles of track with them. And the long slow distance run became a minority or relegated to a midweek long run. And the long workout became more of a long workout rather than a long run. Some of the greatest marathoners of our generation We're doing long tempos, long marathon work, long threshold intervals in amongst their long run. And it's not a coincidence that that was the time that at marathoning times, just the bottom dropped out. They started cutting down, Mm -hmm. cutting down, cutting down. And those principles absolutely apply to all levels of running.
1: Yeah, that's very interesting, isn't it? I would. um, So I think we've honed in on the quality long run. You get the point. Um, Is there any other, just for some examples for everybody, do you have any other go-tos that you do? I have a couple more I could touch on. Do you have anything else that you like when you approach a quality long run, any other staples?
0: Yeah, I think the, the principle of how to do it is important. Before you get overwhelmed, you can take any threshold workout and put it in the middle of a long run and then you just break it up. Instead of a 40 minute tempo run. Do 20 minutes easy, 20 minute cool down, and then do 40 minutes or 30 minutes worth of tempo intervals throughout. If you're going to do a five mile tempo, do five by mile in the middle of a two hour run. So the tempo itself is a little less stressful, but if you insert it in the middle of a long run, you've got yourself a full long workout in there. So you can start with any threshold workout, plug it into the middle of a long run, and you're basically doing extended warm up, extended cool down. The line starts to blur. You can do an interval workout or a 5K time trial, like you said, a six-mile cool-down, an extended cool-down, suddenly you have yourself a long-run day. So it doesn't have to be rocket science, but one of my favorites for long runs, if I'm just going to go out there and not have one of the others that we've talked about, is uh, I like in-and-out long runs, two-on, two-off, five-on, five-off, or just song-on, song-off, and really Mm -hmm. get good at riding the line of cross my threshold on, And then stay as close to my high end aerobic off without letting that pace slag on the offs as I can. And that's when you can't cheat.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: Let's say that currently your marathon pace, let's say it was six minutes per mile, you could keep for a marathon. If you're going 545, nine minute, 545, nine minute, You know all you need to know. You can't currently run six Mm -hmm. minutes for a mile for a marathon. But if you can creep it down to 5.45, 6.30, 5.45, 6.30, you know, now you've got yourself some fitness rolling that you couldn't fake. Prior to that,
1: yeah, Hunter Hunter McIntyre gave me a long run that I've incorporated a little bit, which I've liked. It's kind of a testament to what you're saying, and it's simple. You run a mile roughly at half marathon pace. Let's say for me, it was I think at the time, five forty was my goal, five forty five. So you'd run a mile at that pace, and then you'd only back off the throttle, the high end aerobic. So seven minute pace, no slower. So I'd go 540, seven minutes, 540, seven minutes, 540, seven minutes. And I did that for a 20 mile long run. And I wasn't, you're never allowing your heart rate to fully come down. And you're ensuring that uh, um, that, that recovery isn't allowing you to dip too low in into your, into your heart rate zone. So uh, just what you're talking about, you could do that with five minutes on, five minutes off, four and four, three and three, two and two, uh, it doesn't even really matter. It's just more keeping some quality efforts in there. And the thing I like about that too, is it just really makes your long run go by quicker. <laughs> if anything, it just like mentally, like time seems to go so much faster when you do a quality long run, like two hours does not seem like two hours when you're putting purpose in there. So that's another reason, if any, if none else that I like to do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so so I want to just dive in now to the opposite of that. I I just mentioned that Okay, if you're just doing LSD or long, slow, long runs, um, you're doing yourself. I see you want to butt in. What's that, bracket? I
0: do. I, I do want to get specific for hills real quick because okay. a vast majority of our audience does compete in mountain races. And I just want to say that the same exact principles apply to that. When I was out in Colorado for three years, all my long runs were quality because I'd, I'd alternate the same kind of thing, but with ascents and descents, aerobic climb anaerobic descent aerobic climb, anaerobic descent, or vice versa, climb hard, recover easy, or half and a half, alternating back and forth, but getting good at descending when you're tired and climbing when you're tired. All of these things that we're talking about from a flat ground perspective apply directly to long runs in the mountains.
1: Yeah, good point. Yeah, and I think that goes for a lot of the things we talk about. It's applicable when you're talking about vert. Sometimes when you're not a great climber, like I haven't been and I've worked on it, you can do some warm-ups on the flats go hit hill repeats for an hour and then go back to the flats to finish off your run and you can split them up that way. So, yeah, I'm glad you brought that up. Um, let's talk about LSD for a second, though. Some long, slow distance. We mentioned when we would put it into our program. Um, I don't want to beg on it completely cause it still serves a purpose at, at times. Um, I would say the two places, and we mentioned this earlier, one is if I've done just a ton of high-quality, high-end work throughout the week, and I know my body just can't handle more high-quality work for my long run. I know that I'm already tired, my legs are dogged, and trying to go get something productive done in my long run is probably going to be more counterproductive and put me into a state of fatigue in which could can, can maybe I'll overreach or potentially get injured. So that'd be the first place in which I would just go out and run and just enjoy the day. The other place, and a lot of athletes use this philosophy, and I've dabbled with it a little bit, and I believe you have as well, Bracken, is hitting a very hard, intense interval bout the day before your long run. So hitting a, let's say your long run's on a Saturday, you will plan high-intensity intervals on a Friday, so you're going to fatigue your legs, you're going to shoot your system. And then you're just going to simply go put time on feet the day afterwards on legs that you know are fatigued because of the quality of work you put in the day before. Those are the two places where I think long, slow, what I would say in quotes, enjoyable distance running should be put into place. How do you look at that?
0: That's exactly it. I use it in base building. When I'm not ready for long quality workouts, I I earn those through building up a long, slow run. And when I know Mm -hmm. I'm comfortable running for three hours or 16 miles, then I can start working hard for 12. Or hard for 14 and you build up to that. But yeah, the day after. And, and I do a lot more of what you know you would call the midweek or the medium long run, where instead of two hours a day after, I might go 75 minutes or 90 when I'm really fit. But that longer than an hour time on feet, the day after something hard, prepares you um, a to just again be better when you're tired, but B for back-to-back days of racing. I find there's a lot of benefit to that, especially in our sport where day two is always longer. And yeah. day one is a sharp sting. Day two is more of a grind. The ability to know, well, I, I can get up and work for another 90 minutes tomorrow. That's that's good for your system and it's good for your mind, to, for that peace of mind.
1: Yep. Yeah. I've always, uh, when I do that, I'll tell you what, when I do a high quality uh, workout the day before a long run, it's almost very predictable that my legs are going to feel like shit. It's probably going to be one of the least enjoyable long runs I do because I'm just fatigued. I've expended a big mental effort on the workout the day before, and so now uh, it's kind of a slog. But that's the idea. Your body should be in that state, and that's why you run slow and easy on that day because you've you've set yourself up to feel that way. So um, I know some of you are running that schedule probably where you're hitting intervals and then a long run the day after. That is okay in my book. I wouldn't do a high quality interval workout and then try to do a high quality like long run the next day. Those would that probably be a little bit too much. So there is a time and a place or, you know, if you're fatigued and you can tell you've been overtraining or you're sick or something like all these principles, like quality long runs go out the window. Um, but I just think that the quality long run is so underdone in this sport.
0: Um, yeah. So it certainly is. And and I oftentimes I look to triathlon. I've said it in the last couple episodes, but triathletes have a freakish ability to outperform their training metrics in terms of how a runner would look at it. Triathletes will look at their training metrics and know I'm doing everything based off metrics. I know exactly mm-hmm. what I'm going to do, but a runner would look at a triathlete's training and be like, you don't have enough run volume. You haven't hit enough long thresholds. You haven't hit enough specific long runs to be able to run um let's say off the bike at the end of a uh, at the end of a half marathon. i mean uh, an iron man to be able to run three hour in the marathon you don't have that in you right now and yet they do it because they understand the principles of getting their quality work in in bunches and that's something we can take from that world from the marathoning world from the track world that when you combine quality with fatigue it's like this golden hour for training mm-hmm. where everything sticks harder than it might normally
1: yeah um, Brecken, now I want to, a question I think people are going to be asking themselves is what should my heart rate be at during a long run? What should I be paying attention to it? Do I need to stay aerobic? Uh, I'm setting yourself, you're up here. There's no necessarily right answer in my opinion, but do you have any quick take on that?
0: Yeah, I had this talk with an athlete I coach last night, actually. We were having a talk about the next training block and how we are going to move forward. And my answer to it was, if you have been tested recently or you are very confident in your heart rate, then yeah, set your high end aerobic heart rate, stay aerobic through whatever point you're going to go to and then start working threshold work. But if not, long run is the perfect time to start focusing on what your breathing means in comparison to your heart rate. You go out there, you track your heart rate, but you let your perceived effort and your breathing be your guide. And you look at the data afterwards, especially because the longer you're on feet, the less your heart rate is accurate in comparison to your actual exertion. Two hours into a run, cardiac drift is a real thing and you can't run based off that anymore. You just can't.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Cardiac drift, uh, You'll notice that, uh, man, I notice anytime I'm over two hours, especially the Mm -hmm. cardiac drift is almost exponential for me. It starts shooting up like out of my control at the same pace, what I think is the same effort. Um, Mm -hmm. It's just very interesting that that data there. Um, So point being, though, with that, you would say that monitoring your heart rate for most scenarios during a long run isn't really necessary is that what i'm understanding i'm
0: saying that setting a hard limit isn't necessary at the beginning but mod- monitoring it is a very intelligent thing to do because once you've done several you start to figure out things that maybe testing can't exactly tell you a great vo2 max test can't tell you how to pace an ultra but running your long runs monitoring your heart rate in comparison to like your fluid intake and everything can tell you how to pace a marathon or an ultra things like that i think it's great to start pairing what the what are the things my body's telling me in comparison to what is my technology telling me
1: okay yeah that's fair now I, i'm curious if you're going to have a good
0: answer on racking <laughs> i hope so
1: I, I like playing quarterback in these conversations cuz i get to stick the tough questions on you first and then i can just you know i can just play off of what you what you say how does how does going for a long run make you faster at a short distance? Why does it make you faster at a short distance, Bracken? Do you, can you give the people a good answer for that?
0: I I'm going to give them an analogy. Okay. I'm going to say it makes you faster the same way that lifting weights makes you a better five k runner, and that it doesn't okay. actually, but it does. Yeah. You can't say if you can lift this or you can run this long run, you will be faster at a shorter or longer distance. But you can say if other things are now easier for you or you can do it with less effort, that translates over. So just like we talked about with lifting, if you can increase your five rep max on squat and deadlift by 20 pounds and you have the same baseline foot speed and your body weight's the same, now your force output is just so much greater, your strength to weight ratio is greater, you are going to be a faster runner. The analogy is that the long run is the same type of thing. If you have the same foot speed, the same body weight, and now you're more efficient at two hours of running, you've just raised your aerobic capacity higher and higher, and you pair that with speed work, and now you're faster. The other way to look at it is that better long runs make you better at handling threshold work. The better your threshold is, the better you are at handling speed work. The better you can handle speed work, the more of all three you can do, and the faster you race. Yeah. Two answers, either way you want to look at it. It is a piece of the puzzle, and puzzles are never good until they're complete. It's true.
1: Something you like to talk about is skill work. Um, Time on feet and then time on feet when fatigued is skill work. In a short, fast race, uh, let's say the last quarter of that race, your form will want to break down, even if it's a mile or a 5K, working at longer durations through fatigue is going to help you maintain form over shorter durations, which is going to maintain your efficiency, which is going to help you cover ground uh, more effectively when you fatigue, even at a short race distance. The long run is sort of like, I talk about this when we're talking about putting in mileage in general, it's kind of like the base to your pyramid. And the bigger you base to your pyramid, the higher your pyramid can be built. And so in my opinion, the more you can sharpen at a higher level and stay sharp for a longer time, as far as running short intense bouts um and then also you have the perspective of it all if your long runs are 90 minutes but your race is a 5k and you know that's going to last you 20 minutes 20 minutes of pain doesn't feel so bad perspectively it's all relative compared to 90 minutes of time on feet so um i notice when my long run increases like hurting for a 5k just seems less intimidating Are you Mm -hmm. kidding me? I ran for two or three hours last weekend. What's hurting for 15 or 20 minutes. It's nothing like I can, I can do that. And, and so you, you, you skirted this properly in the sense that like, is there a right answer? No. However, increasing aerobic capacity always translates to increased uh, ability over a shorter duration. It's kind of stoking the fire, so to speak. Um, And then there's all the intangibles that you have a hard time maybe describing that factor into it. Um, But I will tell you for sure, and we touched on like the physiological benefits of the long run, increased mitochondria, potentially increased red blood cells. You're definitely uh, increasing your capillary beds, which increases better ability to use oxygen, which can be, um, which translates over all race distances that are aerobic. And that's anything over like two minutes. So- It 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 translates it translates beyond all the other things we talked about about adjusting to just acclimating to spending time on feet to preparing your body to understanding how the gear works when you are using you know all those things aside uh, the long run is purposeful
0: yeah for a number of reasons there one of the most underlooked aspects of speed is balance. Your foot can only get off the ground once your body is stable on it. And so ground contact time does at its very core level come down to how quickly can your body, can your foot and everything in the chain of command above that get balanced so that you can spring back off the ground. And as you fatigue, that process takes longer because everything likes to sag in your stride. And every time you get to practice that skill of getting off the ground quickly, you get better at it. And that is a universal skill. Whether you're running a 100 meter dash or a 100 mile run, if you can keep your feet getting off the ground without any say and breakdown in the chain, you will just carry your speed longer into the race. And long runs are just great times to practice that because you get so many reps in one long run, a fatigued breakdown of your chain, keep it together. At the end of that 21 mile around the lake that I run, I have the same feeling in my upper hamstring that I get at the end of an 800, a mile or a 5k. Mm -hmm. It's that same weak area that's being forced to work harder than it's been used to working with less support around it because everything's tired. It's the same exact pain and feeling that I get when I'm trying to run hard near threshold after two hours of running that I get trying to kick in at the end of a two minute race. These things are universal and you can practice that skill over and over.
1: Yeah, that's a great point. I actually feel the same way. I got a, a hip flexor that likes to really go or cramp on me when I get really fatigued. Uh, and I'll feel it at the end of speed work if I hit some long, like some hard speed bouts. And I'll also feel it that last hour of my long run. And I'm doing two very different things. And it's still kind of producing one of the same weaknesses, we'll call it. I also like to compare this for you weightlifters out there. Let's say you're looking to improve your one rep max at a squat, okay? The most powerful short burst display of strength you could for that movement. Do you go in one rep max every single time you go hit a workout in the gym? Of course not. You hit sets of three. You hit sets of five. You hit more rep counts to build a base of strength, and then you retest your one rep max, but you're doing more reps in the process, Um, and somehow that still makes you stronger at a one rep max. Now, I'm not, I don't know how I'm trying to directly correlate the science here, but what I'm saying is longer duration translates into higher performance over shorter durations as well. Same thing with a build in strength and then one rep maxing. You use volume and then you retest your one rep max. Go back to more volume, retest again. Same thing goes with uh, with the long run. So I think we spent enough time on that, Bracken. What do, what do we need to touch on with the long run that we have not yet? Anything that you've been itching to get out there? I
0: I feel like every time you ask that, I answer the same thing. This is your time to test your race plan, right? Your shoes, your socks, your your deodorant, your sunglasses, your hat, your nutrition, both pre-workout and during workout and recovery afterwards. The long run, but especially the long workout demands that your fueling is correct. Mm -hmm. You have to come correct on these days or your body exposes you. And so you get up and you practice your race day routine, you wear your race day clothes, you refuel during and afterwards that exact same way. And it tells you all the feedback you could ever need to know to dial in your race day nutrition plans and your race day gear.
1: Yeah. The biggest thing the long run does for me as far as uh, that goes is one, I realize if you I get behind my hydration, I can get into trouble really quick. I learn, uh, I've learned over the years that I need to take nutrition earlier and more often than I think I do or what other people say you need to. I realize I need to do more than that. Um, it's taught me those two things alone outside of like the physiological benefits. Um, so that's a great point. And you can't, you can't over experiment with that. I'm constantly playing around with my formula on my long runs with nutrition. So I agree with
0: that. You and I have a very applicable example to this you and I had both been running in the VJ Sport extremes last year. Mm -hmm. We had done a lot of speed work in it. We'd done a lot of hill reps, and then we got the maxes. And I had done a 13-mile run in them. You had done some work. We both knew we could spend three hours on feet in those shoes, and we thought, we're going to race in these in Tahoe. Mm -hmm. And then you and I met up for a weekend of training, along with Madison Nick, who still has my seat cover. And Mm -hmm. What, how long did it take? 20 minutes, 30 minutes into that workout of running hard, steep descents? What happened to both of our feet? I had to change shoes. I did too. Our heels right at the junction between the, the, the footbed and the, like the heel cup started to blister. And we realized we could run four hours on feet in this shoe and we could do flat speed work, but we couldn't do extended periods of hard downhill work once we were sweaty in that shoe. What shoe is it? Wait, what shoe was it for you that was causing you problems? The max.
1: And so for me, it was the max as well. And I yeah. had to go to
0: the extreme. Correct? We went okay, to the so extreme and we yep. realized by the end of that day, because we did like four hours that day of hill work and carries, mm-hmm. we can work hard for four hours on this. We might not be able to take this shoe on a four hour easy run and we couldn't take it on concrete, but on a mountainous terrain, this is our go to. But we both came into that weekend positive that if race day was today, this is what we'd be wearing, and we were in the max. And Mm -hmm. we would have been so upset with ourselves. Had we gotten to Tahoe, you doing the beast, me doing the ultra and our heels started blistering an hour Mm -hmm. into that race. But because we tested it, we found out exactly what we needed to know.
1: So true. Yeah. the, the, the extreme, if I'm doing a lot of descending, the extreme has to be my shoe. And I found that out through experimentation and I found out if I'm doing rolling terrain, or uh, packed terrain, anything. The, the max is fantastic. In fact, it saves my feet more than the extreme does on certain terrain. But exactly correct. My next, uh, my next project um, is the IROC. I Rock. I want to see how that holds up, uh, going up and down some steep stuff for a long time. So I'm going to figure that out soon. But that's case in point right there. I was shocked. I thought, sure bet, that that uh, that max is going to be my ticket, mm-hmm. and I was wrong. I was wrong. And
0: that's why the intensity matters, because two weekends before, I'd spent three hours on feet in that max. But adding in race intensity at race terrain, I never would have known.
1: Yep, that's a very good point, um, guys. We uh, put out a contest last Tuesday about people and their time trials. Now, self-admittedly, we have uh, one had a lot of fricking people tell us they've time trialed, and we need time to comb through it to see who's uh, who's won this. And I've seen even a couple come in this morning. And so we haven't picked a a male or female winner for our time trial uh, little contest, which was we wanted you to tell us you were going to time trial. We wanted you to time trial, and then we we're going to pick a winner on who we just felt deserved a free month of coaching based on that. Uh, we're going to announce that Friday. Is that fair, Bracken? And I think we just need a couple more days to mull through that.
0: It is. There was there were more than I thought we would get, and I also do want to make a little uh, suggestion for this. We love being tagged in your stories, but when it comes to contests, make it an actual post because your story leaves the internet and your posts do not. So no matter how cool your story is, if we don't screenshot it in the moment, that story is gone within a day. And we just want you to have your best chance of winning your contest. So go ahead, tag us in the stories. But if you want it to stick and for us to be able to find it for contests, you got to tag us in something that's permanent.
1: Yeah, I've screenshot some of the stories just so I can remember who's done what, Uh, but posts are super helpful um, for that reason. But anyway, so that's why we're not announcing the contest winners uh, today, just because we still have some entries coming through. And I was actually shocked because like, the first two days after we announced that contest, I didn't see much come through. And I was like, oh, this contest was a bust. And then like, the, the floodgates opened and everybody must have been thinking about the weekend and their, uh, their time trials. So then all of a sudden, you guys just stepped up to the plate. Um, so this might be one of the harder contests to win based on the fact that we had a number of entries. So anyways, give us a couple more days. We'll announce that on our Friday episode this week.
0: And It was so great to see because everyone was saying the same thing. Oh, I've been putting this off forever. I don't do this enough. I really didn't want to do this, but accountability partners. And then... Someone did it. The next person did it. It was just the chain, uh, the ball rolling down the hill there. It just kept picking up momentum. The more people did it, the more went out and did it. So you guys doing it made everyone around you better. I got to give you props for that because time trials are intimidating, but the more people that do it, the more accountability you have. So awesome work on that.
1: Yeah. Good job guys. I noticed, um, there were probably more reality check time trials than, uh, you know, super proud and boastful time trials. It seemed like this was a reality check. A lot of you needed to um, get a little more focused right now because the focus has been a little bit sparse because of our current race situation. So as I had mentioned, I think in a post, and maybe I mentioned this uh, verbally, uh, the time trial is always purposeful because it's a real real uh, time snapshot of where you're actually at. And if it goes well, it's going to motivate you to keep hustling. And if it goes poorly, it's going to motivate you to do better. And so um, good job on following through with that. God, if we didn't have 20, 30 people take us, I'd be surprised. So um, I don't have anything else to add to this long run conversation. I just wanted to let the people know we didn't forget about you with that contest. Uh, Anything else you want to add?
0: No, tune in Friday. We've got a pretty awesome episode coming up. And get out there and do your long runs, ladies and gents. Long run it up, guys. Thanks for listening.